This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. Hi, welcome to another great episode of Material Is Your Business on Mouth Media Network. Really excited because today the conversation is going in an even broader direction than where we've been before. We know we're really a show at the end of the day about materials, the stuff you touch, see, feel every day. And today we're going to take this conversation around materials in architecture and other industries, really get into the fabrications on a deep level. Today we are here with Michael Kennedy, the owner of Kennedy Fabrications based in the New York City Garment District, perfect person to talk to on this topic, and the show starts right now. Hi, I'm Michael Kennedy. I run Kennedy Fabrications, uh, architectural model shop uh, in New York for the last 25 years. Um, I love materials because when I see raw material, uh, I think I see something very different than most others see. City. This is Material Is Your Business, a podcast covering the science, technology, and business of materials and manufacturing. Your hosts for this episode are Samantha Cortez, international consultant and founder of Samantha's Platform, and Stephanie Benedetto, CEO and co-founder of Queen of Raw. And now, here are your hosts... Welcome, guys. I'm Stephanie Benedetto. I'm joined by my co-host, Samantha Cortez. Hi. And our guest today is Michael Kennedy, the owner of Kennedy Fabrications, based in New York City Garment District. Hi, Michael. Hello. In the first segment of the show, and just to start the conversation, I'd like to get a little bit of an understanding or kind of a Reader's Digest thumbnail sketch of who you are and what you do at Kennedy Fabrications. Primarily an architectural model uh, shop. based in Garment District. Uh, I've had it for the last 25 years. Um, We primarily do high-end residential sales galleries around the world. And when you're talking about architectural modeling, so this is 3D renderings in different materials to see things in a different perspective with architecture? Correct. Physical models of the buildings, unbuilt buildings typically, uh, but we'll do giant site models of cities and uh, new developments, um, all different things all around the world. It seems like such an interesting take in the traditional architecture industry. How, how did you get into this? And is this always the vision and dream you had? Or did you start out in architecture wanting to be a, a traditional architect and the best in the world? Probably. I, I, I don't know. I kind of stumbled into it. I'd never built anything as a, a kid, uh, certainly architectural models. And when I got to school, we had to build out of wood first semester and by the end of that semester I was fantastic real like crazy good at it um and then I was the model guy for the rest of my life I guess and out of wood in particular primarily yeah so out of just uh, at a desk with my hands I could make pretty much anything that seems like such an interesting obviously with wood there are certain powerful things it can do in three dimensions but also limitations I would think and so in what you saw with wood and in the different fabrications you deal with now, where has it kind of gone or how has that changed? It's completely different. I mean, really, that was more than 25 years ago. So, but even with wood, it's it's interesting to find out how to make those shapes. And so um, then you're talking about different 
tools that you can use or techniques to to form materials. Um, but then getting into plastics, so so plastics were very new to me when I got into the the core architectural model business is really plastics, so that they have these things that'll last forever. They're models built in the fifties that look like they were built yesterday. Going back to Chuck's Hall first 3D printer. I know you're one of the ones that have it. Talk to us a little bit about that first uh, 3D printer and what did you do and how did you bump into it? I think most of the work that I'd done before is kind of layered. So we used lasers in the past. So we would we would form things uh, in 2D to make 3D objects. So when 3D printing came out, um, at least when I started to understand it, maybe 20 years ago, it was, um, the technology was fa- fascinating, but the, but the software I didn't understand. So it was useless to most people. Um, so, uh, but I had someone who could do the 3d work and I started to work on it and we could make some objects. So we bought a machine. Um, it was neat. It sat there for probably a year did nothing because we couldn't <laughs> we couldn't use the software well enough um but then as we well let me go back the the shapes in architecture have changed over the years as well so we're sort of forced to find ways to make these other objects before it's pretty rectilinear um but once they get into amorphic shape then 3d printing is fantastic so um, we would use similar techniques in laser, uh, in making those 3d objects. Um, and then we just got better at it and software kind of caught up. So it's something we've been using forever. And is that something that they're, that now they're teaching architects to work in, or is this still a a special niche and understanding that you have in in this industry? No, 3d printing. Now everyone knows, I think my 10 year old, you know, when he was 10, knew about it. Um, but it's a, you know, they're very different types of 3D printing um, and materials. So that, to me, that's the biggest part of it, that the material technology that's changed over the last 10 years is fantastic. Completely different um, year to year they, where they're just adding polymers, they're making real architecture, full-scale architecture with similar technology to 3D printing. It is. The materials have been so interesting. And I know we've seen, obviously, what started with the corn-based bioplastics and the harder resins and now into some of the more even sustainable alternatives, the recycled coffee grinds that they're using and the you know biodegradable. I think you can bury it in the ground and in a year it's gone completely in landfill. I mean, truly extraordinary. Um, are there any particular materials that you've been working with and specialize in that have been really powerful for architecture and some that have some limitations? You know, I... I can see it would have certain applications in certain industries in different ways. For my purposes, I, I need something that I can fuse together. So I haven't, that hasn't changed for me. Um, because I don't get into more industrial design work then that's very different. So you can get soft handles, you can get all these different feels so that you can make a prototype that looks and feels exactly how it'll be once it goes to production. So those kind of things you couldn't do before. And some of them have them in the same machine now. So it's incredible. Yeah, it's actually, um, we, when I first went to that 3D 
printing um, trade show and I saw how slow it, the 3D printers were and I approached you with, it's like, I can't believe you're doing this because this is so slow and you're like, just be patient. It's The patent's already <laughs> lifted. There's going to come up, you know, they're going to start developing a lot more things with 3D printing. So it's it's true. I mean, a few years later, I'm like, wow, all the, the new things, the mixing of the fibers and all the aspects of 3D printing is really, it's, it, it, it's interesting to see what's going to be coming around later on in the future. It's true. And in terms of the machines that are out there, obviously, there's the at-home machines that people use and appreciate. But have you found, and in what you work with, different types of machines, bigger industrial machines? Have you even had to build your own machine or work with what's out there right now and customize it for your purposes? We have a little of everything. So we have a big industrial machine uh, through Stratasys. Uh, well, Stratasys owns kind of everything now. Uh, either Stratasys or our 3D systems. So, um, but mostly FDM. So uh, um, because it's a plastic base, so I like that for fusing back to acrylics, which are primarily what I use. So walk me through the process here, because obviously, you know, in certain industries, it's different of taking the architecture, the blueprint, the design, putting it into the software, rendering it in three dimensions. I mean, what's the time and the process from a design creative perspective look like? It seems like it's a very lengthy, intense, uh, it's, it's detailed, specific process. Yeah, it's forever. And then a little bit more. <laughs> I, always. Like, I've been really, I've been doing it constantly for 25 years Incredible. Um, and every project is just as important as the last one and that's how everyone treats them so but it's a so we typically start off by meeting with the architect and finding out what is important about the building is it reflective is it a curtain wall that has a, a layering system that you want to be able to read and then we have to take all of that information color everything and then blend them to a scale that your eye will connect with. Uh, so it's kind of a, it's an illusion. We're trying to make you believe something that is really just sheet plastic is something that you can imagine yourself in as a real, you know, construct. So it's, but when I see the blueprints, I think that's how I see the object. So I can see things in 3D that I'm, I know other people can't. That's why I have a job. So just by looking at the blueprint, you already imagine the building built. I imagine the miniature built, yeah. So I can imagine a layering system. So if I'm looking at something, my brain is thinking, all right, well, how would I approach that? But now when I walk around literally the world, that's how I see anything. I can make that. Uh, that's how I'd make this. And then once you... <laughs> kind of have that inspiration and can see that vision you and your team render it into the CAD software right so so, so this is an odd business right so um, it comes from architecture primarily just because we understand how to see those spaces in architecture that's how we're trained um, but most of my staff are artists so um, they're painters or sculptors or furniture makers uh, jewelry makers things like that so there, so there's a process that I've developed. So, so these shops around the world are developed typically by 
just someone like me who who can make something and then we develop it and we work with other artists and people who we learn from and uh, it develops into sort of my technique. So the way that we do this, it's pretty specific. Um, other people take a similar approach, but I think the way we would do it is uh, we typically break it down in um, some kind of CAD system uh, that we get from them. Sometimes we'll just make it up. We can photograph things and, and then use uh, yeah, CAD now to to break up a layering system to then uh, scale it to something that, you know, it's built like a building. It has a core, um, in our case, typically a lighting core that we would have to address each unit through it. So we have to have a system that's engineered for that and then a system for floor plates and columns like a, like a building and then a skin like a building. So we just layer it uh, and then we develop landscaping system so you know you can buy some foam and you can buy a brush and then uh, you know for me that's tall grass and uh and ground cover so it's wow yeah all how you see things a matter of perspective that's the pound yeah. beauty of it so. so michael when you um walk in to your facility what would you see can you describe like the equipment that you would have sure. or uh, so we have a, it's a studio environment. So, uh, it's a, uh, kind of a big open studio, uh, with desks on the perimeter because we don't know what size or shape any of these objects are coming in. Um, they typically last like say three months to six months, depending on how big they are or what we're doing to them. Um, so there are about 18, 20 people working on a variety of different things, starting projects, finishing projects, uh, working on lighting systems. Uh, there's a bunch of noise from, so we have a, a full uh, wood shop, um, CNC mills, bridge ports. Um, we have a full paint department. Uh, what CNC mills? Uh, CNC um, milling machines for, um, sheet goods or for 3D objects for milling foam or other uh, things. That's what you explained to me, that the machine turns and cuts the sectors around. Right. So instead of, of 3D printing, it's it's uh, it's a uh, reductive process. So it, it cuts out of a material. Ah. So you use the same software because you could generate, you're still generating 3D objects. So if I generate a 3D object, I'm taking the solid and putting it into a 3D printer. And uh, if I'm milling it, I'm taking the solid uh, as the object that will be, uh, will remain from a block around that object, essentially. So it kind of shaves and cuts around yeah. the object, creating that shape and form that you want to achieve at the end. Right. I just wanted to take a step back where you mentioned the type of people that you employ, and I found that so interesting that outside of maybe what you would see at a traditional architecture firm, the, the type industries and people that you're looking at, which you need in order to create that rendering, how, how did you know that that's the way to look at the industry and what you need from such a different perspective? It was an accident, probably. It's <laughs> <laughs> all great things may be. When I started, I hired my friends, uh, out of school, they were all, you know, they could make models. Um, and that was a disaster. Um, <laughs> and then I, 
I realized over time that people are coming here and I'm the one who knows how to do this. I, I direct all of this stuff. Um, so then it was a matter of really personality in a way. So I found with architects, they really wanted to be architects. They didn't want to do this. This is something that I really love to do. So if you were going to be here, I expected kind of the same level of enthusiasm um, because we were developing things together. So, um, and I found that with art, artists, they were, they could do many different tasks um, because this is an odd job. They're really odd tasks. Um, and my job is sort of to tie all of that together. Um, so yeah, thousands of little pieces that then go together. But I think with artists, they can concentrate on something to really well and then move on to the next, next task. Well, it's a real testament to something we always talk about here, which is how do you kind of think outside the box and the synergy between cross industries and thinking of things differently. So obviously a testament to how you've been able to be as successful in what you do and come at it from a different perspective. I know you have much more machines at your shop. Please. Oh. Expand more onto that. <laughs> so uh, I have vac uh, forum machines. You know this? They 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 will form over a solid. Uh, basically, you can you can suck a material over a form, and it'll uh, after it's heated, it'll it'll stay in that shape once it's once it's vacuumed out. Um, I have a bunch of lasers, so five laser machines, vary in dimension, um, and we can do raster images and anything with a laser. No, I, I don't get into big industrial things uh, for metal work or any of that. Um, it's still a, it's a, it's a difficult thing to find machinery for because it's such a fine um, tolerance for everything. I, I have to, in our calculations, we have to worry about the thickness of the laser beam. So I have to adjust our facades for depending on the machine point oh oh four or oh oh five of an inch no oh, wow so yeah it's fairly precise but okay so i have five lasers i have a paint room and booth i have uh four 3d printers uh a few resin ones um yeah the, the little um i don't know what kind it is form labs form labs that's a cute little one that sometimes performs well but. <laughs> power of machines plus humans so how big are the scale of what you actually end up the day once everything is it fused just, and it keeps lit. getting bigger it's crazy so we would normally do small sort of desktop things for competition say when when we started uh, for for a good quality model, you would typically do a good quality model for a competition. Um, but the sales gallery models are more, it's more theater. It really is because they're trying to, they're spending a lot of money. They, they, you know, they're fired the best architects and uh, marketing teams in the world, branding teams in the world. And they want to sell something. They want to sell uh, an idea about a, a place. So, I'm just there to help them do that. So I make a building that looks like the building that they've asked these architects to design and, um, 
and then we'll show interiors, um, its place in the city. So we'll show people build sort of large maps of the city. Perfect time for a break, and then we'll get more into that back soon, right after this. Welcome to the All Possibilities Podcast. Hi, I'm Jess Brocken. I am a Reiki energy healer based in New York City. Listen to our great episode with Julie Chan in terms of all possibilities. You get to hear how I went from MIT to CIA to talking to dead people and healing people with my fingers, not understanding how it works, but knowing that it does. So uh, come enjoy and uh, see you soon. Episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play, and our website, allpossibilitiesshow.com. Welcome back to Material is Your Business on Mouth Media Network. We're here with Michael Kennedy, the owner of Kennedy Fabrications, based in New York City's Garment District. And we were just talking on break a little bit more about the process that you use. And I know Samantha had a question in particular that she was dying to get out. Yes. I was just curious, what is your favorite form of creating a material to do your models? It really depends on what I'm making. So every, every object has a different, um, opacity or something. So for me, if the 3D printing doesn't always work because the materials, even though materials are fantastic, most of them, you still can't get something truly clear. So we still have, it's still just a tool. So I may make that object and then uh, make a mold and cast it in really whatever I want. So then I can get it perfectly clear or perfectly polished. So it's really about having everything in-house that I can, uh, I can experiment with. I can, I can, um, use the, yeah, use the tools, um, that I know of at least and, uh, be able to make really any object, any, any sheen, any material I want. Right. It seems like such a, a trial and learn by error, although it, I hate using the word error to do tons that. Tons of error, often failure. <laughs> I remember uh, using your laser machines when I was doing the a lot of the dimensions onto my garments. Oh, that's right. That's where we met. Yes, right? yes. Well, before that, but yeah, a lot of the pieces and the and cutting at the lasers, and it was so intricate how the you have to do the the intensity of the the beam to be able to cut, and sometimes it would burn, and sometimes it wouldn't burn. So the, it was playing around all the time with the numbers. With fabrics, of it's, it's yes, tricky. Yeah, fabric. Yeah, yeah. As you've been doing this, are there any kind of best practices or things that you found have worked really well in your methodology that would be helpful to the design creative community or any pitfalls to avoid? Don't do what I did. <laughs> if you're looking in this industry, let's do better now. This is an odd industry. I mean, there aren't many people who start these companies because they're really intense. They're the, the, it's odd. It's a silly business, right? We make little things, but um, the people paying for it, it's it's a it's a tool. It's a useful, serious tool for them, um, and they have a lot of money on the line. So, uh, I would say that at at this level, at at what people ask us to cre create, I mean, really now people just want something interesting and awesome. So, 
getting into this kind of business at this level, it's, it's a really tricky thing. I think that you need years of, of training. So if you just start, um, but I don't know, kids are smart as hell today. (laughs) (laughs) Things are happening quicker and quicker. You travel all around the world to even bring these models to location and set them up. That's fun. That, that part, any of the setup is fun. So we just, um, we just installed something at the Museum of Modern Art in the city. It'll be up for the next two years. Congratulations. Nice. Yeah. It's awesome. Uh, of the new, um, of the new expansion to the museum. So it's, uh, it's up. And you're so right. This is such a, a, a sales tool. And especially now with all this noise and with where the world is and the industry is, it is truly a PR marketing branding tool and a brand cares so much. Sure. And I wonder, since you're such an expert in this industry, how much do you input do you allow the architects and the company itself to have in this process? And how much is you doing what you know you need to do done best to get that rendering done? Uh, right. So it's important to me to really understand what the architect wants in this building, but it's, it's obsessive for them like everyone else. So it's most important if they get this one detail, not important at all to anyone else on the planet, but that guy who wants that detail. So that's my job to sort of make them understand that this, that's a line, uh, in, at our scale, it's not that important, but it's really about, um, Understanding what is most important to them um, and then taking it to my scale and then blending all of that together. So it's really my uh, my artistic eye in the end, um, coupled with what they were hoping to see. So To clarify, do you allow them to have input on earlier iterations and pieces and parts? Oh, sure. Or yeah. You we'll, do? we'll go through that whole process of getting exactly – we'll do a corner of, of, uh, of a piece typically – but it's, um, you know, what we're involved with. Uh, and as you're looking at that kind of design and creative process, any project that someone's come to you and at first you say, no way it can't be done? No, never. Uh, no. That's, what, that's, uh, that's always made me happy that no one's ever come to me and said, uh, we want to make this. And I would, if it's really tricky, I'm all in. I'm I'm always interested in doing something that looks hard as hell. Um, I love that. So what's been one of the hardest challenges yet to do? Really developing lighting systems and sort of layering systems. But um, what exactly does that mean? So we're, we're now able to light. I mean, I'm, I'm sure people could do this in for years in other industries, but for us, we can now light each unit um, and change the, color of that light, uh, the intensity of the light, uh, through an iPad. Um, and that becomes a sales tool for the, for, um, the residential marketing end of it. So they can actually now say, all right, I looked at that unit where that unit was looked at 15 times as opposed to this other unit. So they can start to track this in software. It's really fascinating how they, how they can use technology that we're using just to light something. So we just want it to have this sort of nice soft light behind it. And when you're addressing a a specific unit, you can light that unit. So you can get a sense of your space in that tower. Um, So 
we've developed that and then people take that system and they do something awesome with it. So it's, it's all pretty collaborative. So it's interesting because you, from models 10 years ago till now, it's, it's varied so much. Three years ago, like technology and, and led technology, completely different. And then that uh, integrating the iPads or the, the, that communication with the designer or the corporation trying to present it to the client going into their computer and just in a presentation talking about it and lighting up the different spectrums of the building right it's uh it's it's Wow. It's, it's fascinating. It, it really is. <laughs> and where do you see this going then? Is there something that you haven't seen done yet that you would like to do and in areas of growth of the business and opportunity, some technology out there that's not there yet that you want to have developed that would help what you do? Hmm. I don't know. I, I Honestly, I'm usually coming off of a big project and I don't want to think about the new ones. Um, <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not a big growth guy. I don't. I don't look for making this much larger um, because it's pretty intense. It's pretty, you know, there really are thousands of parts on each model that we have to account for. And I might be working on three or four of them. And we have some really great project managers who can pull all that together, but they're still waiting for me to to tie the whole thing together. So. so how many projects can you work on at once? Or, or do you uh, try to dedicate yourself... <laughs> I'd say four at a time is pretty typical. But Before the brain goes. <laughs> well, then, but then I'm looking at all new work. So to me, it's fascinating. And I, and I may, I may hate myself one day while we're, you know, while this thing is taking weeks longer than it should, or I hope. Um, but then I'll see something um, that someone sends me and I'm, I'm all in a hundred percent again, where it's just, wow, I'd love to build that. Um, and- and you do things for all over the world. For everyone. It's great. It's really, I've, I, I, I think we really care about what we do. I think people really understand that. Um, I'm interested in developing things with other people. I love working with really the best people on the planet in, in, the, in this creative, in any creative field, because they bring everyone to the table. So what are the cities that uh, people would that you've been to and the installations or worked with? I spent a ton of time in Dubai and Abu Dhabi for, I don't know, 10 or 12 years, back and forth, maybe four, five, six times a year um, for crazy projects. Most Maybe 70% of them never built or portions of them built, um, which is fascinating. They'll just build like the most awesome tower right next to another one. And it just then it just all blends together. Um, which is kind of strange. They've done an amazing job in, in building their architecture there in a short it's incredible. span. <laughs> Absolutely. But saying that they get the best people from all around the world, uh, best engineers, they're building islands, they're building all of this fantastic stuff. So in looking at kind of your customer base and where you're working, why residential? What was it about residential as opposed to commercial that attracted you to what you're doing? I think the residential end, uh, you're not selling the same thing in commercial. You're selling um, a space that that you'll change and the next person will change. Um, and you're not trying to get a sense of that space. When you're selling residential, you're selling really an atmosphere, a, a, a sense. Of, it depends on most of them are, are uh, they use the best interior designers from around the world. So 
you really want to get a sense of that. So within these sales galleries, there might be a full uh, apartment layout uh, uh, with a view that you would see from one of the apartments. Um, so they're, they're using a lot of different tools. Uh, this is just one. And what in particular kind of inspires you or excites you about that? Is there... I think it's the, you know, architects get together and they are, they're asked to come up with something no one else has come up with every day. Like, oh, Christ, so what? <laughs> <laughs> what can you dream of today? One. Do you All find right. that more in the new architects or the, the old I mean, ones? There are a lot of architects with... out there. So there's a lot of architecture happening, but I really get a chance to work with some of the best in the world. So the forms are fantastic. They're really thought out. They're... There is a rigorous process to get these really incredible engineering, architectural sort of uh, material structures. Everyone is working out. Um, most of the most of the architects, I would say, that we work with, they're approaching it as a problem, right? So I'm not just making a residential tower to, to be pretty. They're saying, what what is what is residential living? How do we solve that as a problem first? And then they're designing architecture around that. Um, and then, and then the form comes afterwards. So it's, it's fascinating to see that and then know that all of that is worked out behind the scenes and then have this sort of beautiful object. Do you think that your forms gives them a three-dimensional view versus using it as a sales tactic? I would say before, um, you know, before 10 years ago, maybe. Um, but with renderings, I think architects will see it that way. I think people who aren't trained as architects still don't quite see it until they see it in 3D form like what I do. And as you're looking at kind of the industry at large and what you've been rendering and designing in the past and where it's going, have there been changes in kind of the tastes and the scope and the scale and the complexity of what you're doing? And sure. does that also translate into different types of materials and fabrications and processes that you've had to work? And where is it going? It's all To me, it's all the same. Everything evolves into what we're doing. So all of so if, if an architect is saying, I'm going to solve a problem first, then they're also solving engineering problems because they've now said, all right, this is, this is how we want to solve this task. Um, but no one's done that before. No one can make that span. No one can do whatever this cantilever does. But then they get together with the best engineers in the world and say, no, we can do that if we do this. Um, and then that actually translates back to, to, the, to the model. I then have to cantilever that thing out, but it's plastic. It's, it's all fascinating. Do you think that your engineering background has helped you structure this better or your artistic background that you never knew that you had when you did go into the engineering? Well, I think the architecture is a good base for me. I mean, I have a lot of training. I was seven years of architecture school, uh, studio classes every, you know, every semester. You were, you were always sort of under the gun to come up with something. So I think my, my brain just sort of automatically defaults to that in a way where I can I can break things down fairly quickly and understand what I have to make. Do you think any artist can build a firm that you've done? I'm often surprised that more people don't do it, but it really is kind of stressful. So maybe they just don't need this kind of silly life. But, uh, 
<laughs> I think it's, I find it really rewarding still though. It's, 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 um, but it's, it, it's all encompassing. You, you, you have to really, you have to pay attention to minutiae that people just might give up on, I would say. And then develop while you're doing it, not just say, and I think some people still do that where they're saying, all right, this is how we do this. Um, and that's all I want to do. And that's nice, but it's not, it's not what I'm interested in. I'm, I'm far more interested in, in um, working with people who have said, yeah, I, I, I'd like that before, but what can we do next? And I think that's why I still have people interested in this. Given that obviously this is a show about materials is your business, wonder if we could touch a little bit more on once you create these models and make these renderings, and then there's a conversation with the architects and the company about actually this going into production, does it have any impact or implication in looking at this metal on materials that are actually used? How does this affect the process? It, I usually come in when the building is broken ground, essentially. Well, that's not true. Some of them, uh, they should have broken ground, and then... Uh, Others, they're waiting, so they want to see if it's going to sell or how it's going to sell first, so they have financial packages, all that kind of stuff. But um, for the most part, it doesn't change too much, but recently it has. There are a few projects that I've worked on where maybe we made a mistake or there was uh, uh, inconsistency in a, in a color of a stone or something like that, and people said, well, I like that better. Um, there's a building in Stanford where I, I'm told that the CEO liked the color of this model. So that's, that's the whole base of this, of this building now. Um, and it looks exactly like the model. It's the same weird kind of primer color. Um, but that's what he likes. So that definitely uh, influenced it, but that may be one of three or four times over the years. Very cool. When you create a model, does your model making interfere fear in any way on what type of uh, final base of materials they utilize to put and make the building? No, they're, they're completely different. They, they may impact on um, early on before, uh, I mean, I started before computers, right? So I got out of school, there are no computers yet. So I did much of this by hand starting, and then we had to learn the software. But, uh, and even with that software, I would do some houses in the beginning. We would do a, a lot of sort of smaller scale houses and the roofs almost never worked. So they just, they would draw them in a certain way and it looks nice on paper, but as you elevate them, uh, they don't work. So yeah, I would help back then, uh, but software has changed all that. So it's not an issue. So touching back on the three dimensional aspect of your business, um, you were talking about a machine that had um, that would curve out the shape. It's a, a, a vacuum form machine, so it's essentially a you heat a material mm -hmm. over a form, and then you can vacuum out all the air, and uh, that heated form will cool and and then form over whatever form you've given it. And so you can do multiple. So, uh, or you can use a material that uh, as long as you can heat it and it will then uh, form, basically if it has a polymer that you can heat up and uh, to a melting point and then 
uh, once it's dried, it goes back to that form. You can skin surfaces um, with different materials. So it would soften the edges of the materials. It's a, right. It's 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 a full skin around it. So you would have to design the part that gets skinned to accept that skin essentially, so it doesn't web out or things like that. So depending on how something is formed, it may it may leave kind of a an odd wrinkle around it if it's not if the shape wasn't made for that form. So. so the base that you utilize to create that form, is there different type of chemicals that are put into it or different type of bases that give different type of shapes? No, that would either be uh, milled on a CNC mill or, uh, or handmade or, or 3D printed, depending on what you're doing. But that's the inner base, the, the, the base on top. Is there a different type of... Well, you can use any material. Any material. As long as you can heat it and it'll form. It's time for a break, and we're back with our final segment and some fun personal questions with Michael Kennedy on Material Is Your Business right after this. Hi, everyone. This is Mark Rako. I'm one of the hosts of Fashion Is Your Business, another great show on Mouth Media Network. If you like the podcast you're listening to, Material Is Your Business, then I bet you're going to love Fashion Is Your Business, which intersects fashion, technology, and innovation, and also American Fashion Podcast, which Harper's Bazaar calls for the true fashion nerd at heart. Both shows and a whole bunch of other great podcasts are all available at mouthmedianetwork.com. And when you do listen, let us know you heard about them on Material Is Your Business. Thanks a lot. And now back to the show. Welcome back to Material Is Your Business. We're here with Michael Kennedy, the owner of Kennedy Fabrications. And it's time for... And now, now, it's Remnants. Remnants, that's right. That's our favorite uh, way to close this session. It's personal questions. We're going to pick a piece of material, and today I guess it's probably appropriate to do a piece of 3D printed plastic from your models. We'll crack it, and then whoever gets the largest one will ask the first question. Okay, it's Samantha. Okay, Michael, I know you have an amazing little boy, and he's probably not little anymore. He's probably big. What are the places that you've taken him that has impressed him the most? Why, and why do you enjoy traveling with him? Uh, he's 12. He, uh, his name's Miles. Uh, and we've taken him everywhere if i if i'm traveling and i can spend some time we have one child so we just throw him on a plane so he's been many places he's been to dubai he's been to egypt uh i think he liked dubai the best because it's it's kind of silly it's like disneyland i think we went to atlanta the atlant uh atlantis right and it's yeah it's silly <laughs> Does he, and you look at things differently now, given your business and when you're traveling, seeing the world in a different way? I, I do. I, I think I, I didn't travel as a child at all. I don't, I, I went to, uh, I was in grad school at Columbia before I was ever on an airplane. Wow. Yeah. And since that, I think I've been to, I don't know, 30 countries and 
What do you think as an impact to a child traveling all over the world versus somebody that's staying at home and not doing anything now that you have that see that two spectrums? I thought it was really important. So I'm, I'm, I encourage it. I, I want him to see, I think he's, we've taken him to some different country every year. He's for 12 years. Um, if Puerto Rico was the first one, that's not really a country, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> You're not saying it because of me, do you? <laughs> but I think it's it's good for him to see all of these different cultures. It's fascinating to me. Um, I think he finds it similar. Uh, but I do. I think it's he sees he sees my job. Uh, well, as as a child, I think he saw my job as a job that other people had that sort of normal people had um but he realizes that it's fairly unique that it's it's not that way um so i i don't really know how he sees the, the world i think he's just sort of used to it it's comfortable for him he just gets on a plane and and he'll go anywhere now so it's good in all your travels all over the world and in your work as well as kind of personal vacations any favorite piece of architecture that you walked away from that has left a lasting impression on you and for a certain reason? Hmm. There are a few pieces, uh, a few buildings coming up now that I've worked on. Uh, there's 56 Leonard um, that will have a, an, an Anish Kapoor sculpture at the base. I'm waiting for that. I think that's the fall coming up. That'll be beautiful. It's, still, it's already beautiful, but when that finishes off, that'll be Really incredible. Um, and then there's another, so that's a Herzog and Demeron building. And there's another Herzog and Demeron coming up on Leroy Street. That's another just sort of beautiful concrete building. Um, but there's some really, there's some good ones around. Yeah. It's good to remind people, I always forget, but every time I was always traveling, my mom would say, look up, look around you. And yet sometimes you forget and then it's like, oh, wow, you have that moment. Yeah, I, I don't think people... I, I'll do that. Um, I'll be traveling somewhere and I'll see something that I recognize as if I've been there before, but I've made it in a model, which is really strange. So I've made a building, say, I'm walking in D.C. I don't think I've seen this building in 20 years, but I, I, I know everything about it. And then I remember I built that model 20 years ago. <laughs> It's actually interesting because there, there's um, a lot of people come to New York and take a, an architectural tour right. and understanding all the architectural aspects of the city that it's actually fascinating. It's awesome. It really is. There's some really good architecture now. Finally, it's for years, it was, there was a few good pieces now. They're all along the High Line, uh, all in Hudson Yards. There's some just really good, interesting architecture coming up. But there's some dysfunctional ones, though, that just don't, that ruin the landscape in some aspect. They just don't go together. <laughs> like? I, I find. That may be true anywhere. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Every, everywhere, yeah. Or it's just, it's there to annoy some, and that's okay. Or they didn't it's do a, a 3D model. It's a part of model. the skyline, yeah. <laughs> or they didn't do a proper 3D model before to understand the implications of what it would look like. But we'll <laughs> leave that to everyone to decide. Can you give us kind of a final thought or message kind of as you reflect on either your work or your personal experience or this conversation, anything to leave everyone with, inspiration, advice if they're trying to go into your industry? If they're going into my industry? Uh 
or any creative? I'd say any creative. Um, it's really good to work with other talented people. Um, if you can try to, you know, make sure you're not so isolated, get some feedback while you're working. And, uh, but then know when they're wrong, which is a lot of the times. So stick to your guns, but really listen to other people. Keep an open mind. (laughs) And how can the listeners connect with you and your business? What's the best way to reach you? I'm kind of a recluse, so I don't... uh, I have a website that is probably eight years old. I think we're (laughs) putting that together now. Um, And that's about it. Go through my website if you want to see the work, and within the next month, There'll be some really nice work coming up. So, is that at KennedyFabrications.com? KennedyFabrications.com. Yeah, I don't do social media yet. Uh, I'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Michael, for being with us on the show. Thank really you. appreciate your time and words of advice. And for Samantha Cortez, adios. And I'm Stephanie Benedetto. Go change the world, everyone. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon. On material is your business. This has been Material Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for the show or to become a sponsor, email us at podcast at materialisyourbusiness.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Material Biz Show. That's Material B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, materialisyourbusiness.com. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2017. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.